0: I'm a fan of the t- Hannibal Lecter books by Thomas Harris, big fan, loved them. When I was a kid, when I was 13 years old, Silence of the Lambs was absolutely my favorite book, along with A Clockwork Orange. The uh, logo you see on streetfightsecrets.com, which is me doing that, like that, like this, um, is actually a composite. Um, the graphic designer who, who, who and photographer who shot that, he did it on my suggestion of a composite of two photos. One is Alex from A Clockwork Orange, the Stanley Kubrick movie poster, um, and the other one is a, is a picture of Hannibal Lecter that was used in some promotional material for, um, I can't remember which one, it was one of the ones that came after Silence of the Lambs. So it's a, it's a, it's a big factor in uh, my sort of thinking and, and templates all purely fictional and some of the psychiatry in it is bollocks as well, but it's good fun. Um, there's just, uh, a lot of interesting subplots in that storyline. Uh, people have said to me, oh, you know, uh, Hannibal Lecter, that represents uh, a narcissist. I said, no, it doesn't. Uh, the narcissist in the Hannibal Lecter story is Dr. Chilton, who, is Hannibal Le- who, who runs the um, secure facility for the criminally insane where Hannibal Lecter is, is kept. And he's a, an intellectual narcissist who uses the fact that he has this high profile serial killer as his, uh, as his narcissistic supply. Um, another example of an interesting uh, storyline that you might remember from from the later films was a, a character um, who was an extremely wealthy paedophile. Uh, he was he'd inherited a lot of money. They were a southern family. I think their money came from cattle, um, but he, he himself was a paedophile, and uh, he even abused his own sister, who is a, a le- who is a lesbian bodybuilder called Margot. Unfortunately, that character never made it to the film. Um, it was the in the film, the, the paedophile character uh, was played by Gary Oldman, um, but the sister never, never made it, which was a real shame because she was a really interesting character. As a result of her childhood sexual abuse, um, she was repulsed by the idea of, of sex with men and also needed to become this big bodybuilder to build up layers of protection of the self. Uh, So it it was interesting. She was an interesting character. But there's an interesting turn of phrase in the book. Um, Hannibal Lecter actually finds the the character played by Gary Oldman repellent and punishes him for being a paedophile by giving him PCP. He pretends it's a popper, but he's mixed into the popper's uh, PCP. And then he encourages uh, the character to uh, carve off his own face and that's why we see him he's such a mess Uh, he's actually really hurt himself under the uh, hypnotic suggestion of uh, dr Lecter. now what this vile character this extremely wealthy paedophile would do um, is he would entice children in uh, by offering them chocolate and um he also sexually abused his sister hannibal lecter in order to provoke the sister This bodybuilder, Margot, um, says to her, did you, Margot, did you take the chocolate? Did you take take the chocolate? Which was synonymous for, was there a quid pro quo relationship whereby you took something and in exchange for that, you gave up your innocence. You gave up your body to be sexually abused by your own brother. Um, And in the story, that causes her to fly into a violent rage just by asking the question, did you, Margot, did you take the chocolate? Now, the reason why I bring this up is because all of us, at some point in our lives, end up, one way or another, it might literally be a physically abusive scenario, scenario or it could more likely be, and more frequently, more commonly be, an emotionally and psychologically abusive scenario, where we become, we become, I went scouse them for a the second, we become complicit by accepting a quid pro quo arrangement where we take the chocolate. We say, okay, well, I'm gonna give up, I'm gonna compromise some of my boundaries. I'm gonna compromise some of my character in order to get a little bit of what it is that I want. And of course, this is the, this is the devil's pact. This is the, uh, the original Faust story is based on that idea. I just, you know, I want a little bit of that. So I'll give you a little bit of this. But of course, what inevitably happens is uh, you are in a bait and switch deal and you're always going to end up giving more than you receive and more than you bargain for. Um, a lot of old folklore is based on this idea, even the concept of vampires, which some would say maybe they were the original paradigm for narcissist or psychopath <clears throat> narcissistic or psychopathic personality types, sadistic, toxic, malignant personality types in medieval times, maybe we wrote that up as vampires. Which is an interesting idea, because in most vampire folklore, the vampire cannot bite you, may not feed on your flesh, unless you invite him or her in. They stand at the door, and you have to invite them in. That's an old piece of vampire folklore, and I think it's very important that in some sense, you have to take the chocolate. You have to say, yes, this charming, beautiful stranger at my door, I will invite them in. And then, through having invited the wrong person in, to your personal space uh, you then suffer the the consequences of that and it's a bait and switch where you end up giving a lot more than you get so i think this is a very old folkloric archetypal idea that goes back you know probably since the dawn of time where um in order to get somebody to do something through manipulation there will be this idea of uh, reciprocity this particularly works well on people with people put People on people who suffer from people-pleaser syndrome. Those of us who, like myself, uh, who suffer from weak boundaries, who suffer from porous ego boundaries, who are neurotically and obsessively overly conscientious, who always put others first, who struggle to say no, who do not like to disappoint other people and make other people experience negative emotions, and who are neurotically and weirdly and suspiciously naive in their assessment of other people and of life this naivety by the way is rooted in a childhood problem which is that in order to survive emotionally and psychologically the child teaches itself to misperceive reality because the reality that is presented to them is simply so horrific and violent and torturous either literally or symbolically and i think it's interesting that when you look at tales like the tales from uh, from the brothers Grimm. Uh, which are allegedly for kids, but which are full of horrifying ideas, like people being maimed, blinded, boiled alive and all kinds of hideousnesses and violence is going on there. Well, the, the reality tunnel for a lot of children in the formative years is violence. It's a very, very violent way to be brought up. And in some ways, it ends up being compromised because we take the chocolate. In an abusive context, the child's love and desire to be loved by the mother or the father will be so intense that it effectively can look like madness. So that when I'm talking to clients now, or anybody who does therapy or coaching is talking to clients now, you will find yourself uh, uh, remarking or finding it remarkable that a client who's been so consistently abused for so many years by a parent, even as adults, even as say a 45 year old, highly functioning adult, will continue to defend the abuser like a political prisoner who's been tortured for years and says, yes, he was, you know, Comrade, um, let me give him an English name, Comrade Smith. Yes, he was brutal. Yes, he pulled out all of my fingernails and toenails, but he did it out of love. Yes, yes, he did cause me to, you know, he did put out cigarettes on my eyelids, but he only did it because I kept on having naughty thoughts that were wrong. It was me, it was my fault, it was my sin. I deserved the punishment. And he just wanted to burn the evil thoughts away people talk like that. They don't talk quite like I just did, but they will say things like, oh yeah, my father did do that, but he had a good heart. Yes, my father did beat the fuck out of me when I was five, but he did it because I spilt the milk. He, uh, uh, Yes, my father did tell me from the age of, uh, from whenever I could remember to the age of now that I'm a piece of shit that will never amount to anything. Um he did that but he was toughening me up. Or or the other classic line, at least he didn't chop my hand off. You know, there are children in Africa who have nowhere to live and that you know, they just live outside. At least he put a roof over my head. What more do you want? That's the mindset and the rationalization of people who've suffered extreme abuse. And I know I often compare Uh, what goes on in a family unit to political prisoners and torture in that context. And it is deliberately extreme, it's deliberately cartoonish, but I'm trying to make a point that might get through the skull and actually take seed and go, hmm, maybe I didn't really have a perfect childhood. Maybe nowadays when I struggle and I'm extremely lazy, or I'm weirdly procrastinating, or I seem very fearful of meeting new people, or I'm overwhelmed with social anxiety and the terrible feeling that I'm a piece of shit and I'm... burns me so intensely, I want to peel my own skin off and then just bury myself alive in the earth, that that might, might possibly not actually be your fault and might not actually be a normal way um, and a a healthy way for people to think. And if you've been raised in a normal, healthy, sane environment, that you'd be okay. And there's nothing special to that. It's just, you know, if you're a parent and you're worried about not putting these thoughts into your kids' heads, just, you know, be nice to them set boundaries, be a parent, don't try and be mates with them. They don't need mates, they need parents. They need parents, not friends. Um, And don't teach them to be excessively submissive. If you tell a child you may never say no to me, then they will grow up with emotophobia. If you teach a child that they may never stand up for themselves, then they will grow up being fucking pushovers, total pussies, total walkovers, and they'll be in and out of abusive relationships all of their lives, because that's what they will think that love is. If when a child turns around to you and says, no, I'm not gonna do that, or I'm gonna go out in the garden and I'm gonna build something, and you beat them for it, beat them for asserting themselves, beat them for being curious, beat them either verbally or physically for being brave, beat them either verbally or physically for manifesting a kind of confidence or, or, or a desire to mani- to just have their own will, then what happens? Well, then they learn, oh, it's wrong for me to have my own will. I mustn't ever have my own will. I mustn't ever assert myself. And therefore, they become adults who don't know what they want to do with their lives and their will. they as they say in Malay, the samangat. Um, I said that in another video, and somebody wrote, oh yeah, samango. That sounds good. It's S it's E M. It's semang, A N G A T, samangat. The will, the intent, the spirit. If that's corrupted or broken, which it can easily be done by parents, then that person will be malleable for the rest of their lives unless they get it treated. And that's what I'm doing most of at the moment. And it's tough to do, because I have to rebuild parts of a person that where the normal healing mechanism has been broken. And uh, I was talking to another friend of mine, I was saying it's kind of like a sort of psychological AIDS what kills people when they uh, suffer from AIDS is usually a byproduct of an infection or pneumonia or something that they picked up in the hospital or a reaction to a disease that the body would normally be able to fight off, but it's the immune system shutting down. So your ability to fight off enemies is broken. Your ability to heal is broken, and that can happen at the psychological level. If the samanga is broken, you will struggle to recover from relationships that other people seem to bounce back from inside of six months, whereas you might take three or four years to do that because you just don't have what the mechanism there that causes the self to heal at the psychological and emotional levels so to bring it back to the title of the video and um, don't take the chocolate if you can avoid it It will always put you in a situation of compromise and it will always put you in a situation where the other person is over you and uh, where if you have people pleaser syndrome uh, if they do one thing for you you'll want to do ten things back for them because in your head that's what it takes to be equal That makes you very malleable that makes it very very easy to manipulate you and that means that you are vulnerable I'm not telling you that's frightening you. I'm telling you that so that you understand the reality of the situation If you have been frequently bullied if you have been found yourself frequently open to abuse It is because you are bullyable. It is because you are abusable and it is because you are vulnerable what can we do? Well, we've got to start rebuilding that Samangap. We've got to start rebuilding those walls, and we have to start self-championing. What happens when a person says, no, I'm not going to take the chocolate, and starts to self-champion? The first thing that happens, drama. The entire social system that you live in that benefits from your abusive position of being down low, of being like, uh, like um, on the floor, uh, a dog to be kicked, is if you try and get up off the floor, everybody's going to try and kick you back down. And what will frequently happen is if you start to self-champion, is there'll be massive turbulence in the environment, particularly the family members, or maybe if it's at work, your co-workers will try and push you back down. And if you refuse to get back into your rightful place as a slave, then you'll be outcast and you'll be kicked out. I never really have good news on these videos. Sorry about that. The good news on the other side of all that stuff, though, is you get to be your own person. and Nothing feels more amazing than that. I was talking to a client about that. A few weeks ago Um, there is no drug that is more satisfactory than sovereignty and I would know I've tried lots of them and sovereignty is uh, an independence and knowing that you're living your own life in your own way and that you do have the capacity to say no you still have bad days you still have like you still get annoyed, you'll still feel sad sometimes, just whatever else was, life is still going to occur, you're still going to get ups and downs, but generally speaking, it feels really fucking good. So if you're going to get addicted to anything, I suggest you get addicted to independence and start mainlining personal sovereignty, start self-championing, put those barriers back, start to learn to say no, start to put yourself first, start to learn to say, okay, This is the way I used to be. I used to be neurotically naive. I used to pretend I didn't know what people were about because that used to be part of my old programming, but I'm a different person now. And in the same way that you were hypnotized and brainwashed by your social environment, by your family unit as a child, you as an adult now can re-brainwash and re-hypnotize yourself to say, I'm not that person anymore. I choose health. I choose sanity. I choose peace. I choose to live a life free from drama, free from bullshit, free from abuse and uh, anybody who's not going to play by the rules well they can leave there's nothing illegal about telling people to go away there's nothing illegal even if it's a family member about you saying you know what i don't want to hang out with you anymore i don't want to have contact with you and you can be as direct as that if you choose to be or you can say nothing at all there is no legal recourse that can be brought to bear against you for simply choosing to not spend your time and attention on a person who you find poisonous and painful to be in contact with Some people are just corrosive, recognize that, you've been taking the chocolate, forgive yourself, we've all done it at some time, but say, okay, no more, I'm not gonna take the chocolate anymore, I don't need it. There is nothing that you can offer me that is worth me giving up my sovereignty for. There is nothing that you can offer me in exchange for my sovereignty, for my independence, and for my personal boundaries. Get the fuck out of my life. I suppose that's it for that one. Thank you very much for your time and your attention. Um, If you need any more help uh, you can always contact me and uh, I will speak to you soon, cheers.